0: Happy New Year! Happy
1: New Year! Those are fireworks. I gotta say, 2023, I don't like the ring of it. I don't love the ring of it. 2022 seemed fake. I kept thinking it was 2021. Mm-hmm.
0: And then once June hit, I thought it was 2023. So it, I'm weird. not loving the this year number.
1: Yeah, it feels like a in between Z's 24? Now that's a real that's round number. That's gonna be number. crazy.
0: I'm telling you, 2024 is gonna be the new 2020. It is gonna be a psycho year. But it's like, to me, I have the feeling I'm like, let's get fucking through this thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, like 2023, I don't care. Really. Like, nothing's gonna happen. Or like some stuff saying, is gonna happen. I'm saying, let's slow it all
1: down. It's going let's, too fast.
0: Let's do 2022. Maybe six more months.
1: Yeah. Why not? Well,
0: do you do you have a New Year's resolution?
1: Um. It's no. okay if you don't. I don't. You don't. I don't. No.
0: I didn't think of anything. <sighs> Mine is I'm going to lose 200 pounds. Interesting. Yes, I'm going to sh- I'm going to actually be sort of a negative weight in the world. Mm. Um and sort of like a I'm picturing like the way I want to look by summer or like even by spring, I want to be just like a sphere in the air that sort of sucks like has like has like a gravity to it but like sucks like a black hole. Yeah, you want to be a black hole. Yeah, I want to be a black hole. Um so I have started taking a diabetes related drug um to lose Ozumbic. weight uh, fentanyl <laughs>
1: By the way, I heard that there's a new diet drug coming out that is like makes Ozembic look like running a 5k. Like it is so fast and like people are like, it is going to completely change everything.
0: Uh, More so than Ozembic. Out there in Miami, Ozembic was talk of the town.
1: Yeah. No, everyone, no one can stop talking about Ozembic and, and buckle fat.
0: Okay, so how you say buckle buckle? I never heard of this before last week. Bucal fat,
1: I only knew about it with the massage. The French buckle massage is very famous. However, here's what I'm going to say all the tumblerinas mm-hmm. are all saying, you know, bucal fat removal that's an out.
0: It's an out. Well, here's my thing in, in an out list, I'm, you're not going to do any of that. None of that's of it's you know what you're gonna do, it's just like direct to consumer trend spotting. You're gonna look at your phone for the next year and then be like, Oh, I should have done more with my life. That's what you're gonna do this year. Don't give me, you're not gonna like be like "Eh, in
1: dinner with friends. You're gonna, you're not gonna do that. You're gonna
0: order, you're gonna order takeout and you're gonna sit there and you're gonna watch a little fucking the Queen's Gambit.
1: I think TikTok is gonna fall off. That's my. You test. just made, I,
0: I can tell by your tone of voice, you just came up with, you think TikTok's going to fall off this no, year? No, I didn't just
1: come up with that. I've been fucking thinking about that for like three weeks. Oh, how come you've just so you saved it for the show? I don't know, because we never talked about it. Also, you don't like when I make predictions. That's true. <laughs> That's because I think it's witchcraft. Mm. Hello, everyone. I'm Liz.
0: My name is Brace. We are, of course, joined by producer Young Chomsky in the podcast- It's called Trudon. Hello. Hello. Um, We have quite the interview for you guys to start off the new year. Um, And I figured we would add a little context to it before we start because it's a little bit complicated. And as we learned from our Utah series, uh, sometimes you need to constantly restate things so that people don't forget. I feel like pretty easy to remember information. Um, But we, we have with us today David Safran, a uh, he is, I would call him a freelance. I guess I would call him an investigative journalist, freelance reporter. Um, and he's done a lot of work specifically around the disappearances, or yeah, the disappearances. I guess I would say of three kids uh, from Running Springs in California from the CDU facility. That's John Inman in 1993, Blake Persley in 1994, and Daniel Ewan in 2004. Uh, C- they do for those of you who listen to our series, the game. Uh, stood for it's believed Charles E. Diedrich University and was a youth school modeled directly after Sinanon. Uh, three children disappeared from there over a ten-year period, um, and none of them have ever been found. And David wrote an article about the. San Bernardino Sheriff's Department's essential cover-up of the case, I would say. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the piece is called, Are Police Stifling the Investigation into Three Teens Who Vanished from a Controversial Residential Treatment Facility? And we're linking to the piece. We highly recommend you guys check it out before, during, and after the interview. Um, and David, of course, um, you know, brings his own experience with SEDU, To his investigation. And so we talk about all of those things um, in this interview, which is coming up now.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Happy New Year. We are back with a bang and we have with us today, David Safran, a freelance journalist and local rock and roll musician from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, he's written under the name Medium Anonymous. I have been reading his work for a long time. He has helped us out on this show, and we finally have him on to talk about, well, a variety of things. But for those of you who remember our uh, five-part miniseries, The Game, that came out, I mean, you would have to remember because that was literally like a month and a half ago. Um uh, David helped out with that, and he also uh, he also has written quite a lot about these schools. He attended one himself, and we have uh, we have him on to talk about quite a few things today. Uh, David, how you doing? Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me. This is great.
0: So, uh, just let's just jump right into it. Um, a little bit of background: you went to do, which is really related to the school that I went to as well, and which itself. Came out of Synanon, but would you be able to give us a little context to what C-Do is? Because just to situate us and what we're going to be talking about today.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm afraid it's going to take about twelve hours to to no kind of dissect This'll dissect CEDU. Uh, Well, I, it was primarily it was functioning for decades as a sort of a rehab uh, commune hybrid, mm-hmm. um, an artificial society. Uh, it was for the first three decades, really, it was, it was uh, based in Southern California and it stayed there for, for most of its, you know, uh, its existence, but it developed also into Idaho too, which I think is kind of where Monarch emerged where, out of, you know, I that, that kind the picture, of, the, yeah. the Sandpoint abyss, that Northern Idaho culture. Um, I was, I was at the, in the mothership, you know, in running, running Springs, California, uh, that was CDU HQ. Um, pretty much, since, you know, since, since the really, I think they they moved to Running Springs to the mountains in the right. late '60s. But at that point, it was you know, before then, it was really in um, Riverside County and also Palm Springs, uh, and it was just sort of scattered about, um, functioning under the radar, mostly as a nonprofit um, trying to lure in adolescents, but they, you know, they had members that were, you know, the ages ranged from 12 to like 40. Uh, and eventually they, they, they changed from a nonprofit to a for-profit, uh, mm-hmm. and they were licensed in 92 as, uh, a group home, which, um, changed pretty much everything for, for CEDU. Uh, especially in California when it became a group home. Um, of course, they they didn't advertise that it was a group home. They called it a school. Uh, although, you know, it, whether, whether it, was, it was an actual school is, yeah, is yeah. very debatable. That was just like a marketing hook. Although they, I think they believe that they were offering an alternative education. Certainly, you know, Dan Earl would say that.
1: When you say that everything changed when it uh, reclassified itself as a group home, what do you mean exactly?
2: I um, know a number of things. One, they they opened themselves up to uh, to they had to get licensed through the California Department of Social Services. Mm. So, and their their Community Care Licensing Division, particularly. So when they when they, they were at, at for you know three decades, they were operating in this kind of gray nonprofit rehab world. So mm-hmm. they they did there wasn't a lot of state scrutiny. Uh, so in 92, when they changed the license, which was in part, uh, you know, for profit because they could then open up a middle school and they could, they could enroll. I think they're under their license. They were allowed to bring in kids as young as nine and a half. Uh, so for them, it was a financial thing, but unfortunately their ways of, um, operating, they weren't they weren't accustomed to having like licensing analysts making uh, last minute inspections yeah so then that became a, a different issue for them as they opened themselves up to being regulated really uh, because what you know, when everyone talks about the troubled teen, teen industry you you very often hear that this is an unregulated industry right uh, in situdu's case from 92 to 2005 at least that wasn't the case at all they were being like vigorously, inspected um and abuses were noted all the time um and yet it remained open <laughs> it remained open and that was the thing that you know when i was doing my initial investigation the thing that really shocked me the most because i mm-hmm. i assumed that you know they were they were just still operating under the radar and getting away with their violations and then i said wait a sec they're getting type a citations left and right you mm-hmm. know things that would uh, revoke or suspend a license, you know, and they were just kind of flagrantly beating it, you know, well, every time.
0: It, it really reminds me because, I mean, for, for those of you who remember, I think it's, it's episode three and episode four, where we talk about c in the, in the game series. Um, you know, c does come out of Synanon and Synanon had, especially in its early years, a, a sort of running battle with Regulators of basically every stripe, I mean from, yeah. from city planning commissions to the police uh, to health department or you know, California Department of Health um, and uh, sort of found themselves uh, bouncing from place to place until they could get it basically as secluded as they could while still being able to sort of leech off a major metropolitan area. Yeah. Uh, up in the North Bay, and you know it's funny because Sidu, which which to me always it, it is sort of like the main youth uh, sort of out outgrowth of of Synanon. I mean, yeah. you know, Mel Wasserman, the founder, um, had some kind of relationship with Synanon. I, it doesn't seem like he was a drug addict or anything, but you know, he had he had certainly ta- gone there and, and learned some things, and then then they added Bill Lane like a long time. Um, yeah cinan guy who basically designed the program um but you know cdu sort of runs a similar path in, in in at first they open up in palm springs and they have these sort of like or like you know riverside palm springs sort of desert california and then they move up to this really secluded area uh in the san bernardino mountains and i'm actually you know i'm from california i've actually not spent a lot of time in that part of california um you're lucky. You know, Liz and I have talked about this before, but I'm freaked out by two kinds of folk. One of yeah. which is river folk, and the other which is mountain, mountain folk. Folk,
1: yeah, and, and they're so, a related type of folk. They're they're, they're, they're like co- cousins. They're folk cousin cousins. folk. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Um, what about if you have a river river folk or rivers in the mountain? Uh, which is
1: I, yeah. I mean,
0: that's I a mean, dangerous combination. That's sort of running springs. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. And so, so you. Um, So, I mean, they, they, they move there and then they open up and it seems like almost they, they, they decide to go somewhere more secluded for all of their other um, schools that they open, which would be Idaho. But you went to the running Springs campus. You actually went to CEDU yourself. Um, I did. Yeah. What, 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 can you tell me about that? What's
2: the circumstances? I I want to talk about that. I want to go, I want to back up though, because I, I, yes, Synodon also was, I mean, investigated all the time. Yes. So was CEDU though, in its own way, when it first opened to the point where CEDU was getting worse, um, media coverage than Synanon in like the mid to late sixties. Yeah. And they were forced to move to running Springs because there was a raid. Um, and there was, you know, headline after headline, uh, allegations of orgies and brainwashing and bad food. The, uh, the community they were in in Riverside County despised the CDU program. They mm-hmm. thought um, it was, and this wasn't like a get off my lawn and I mean, there were a lot of investigative civilians and very, very concerned parents that were seeing their kids drop out and go to these sensitivity sessions at, you know, in, in the CDU family, they were called a family back then. It was, and Mel Washman considered himself the father Sort of bad is connotations
0: mother. with the Manson stuff, there. Exactly,
2: uh, that's a really good point. Um, it, and, it, and there was so, there was so many uh, allegations of this sex orgy thing that uh, the, uh, like early members had to go on a local TV program or radio program or something to defend themselves. And mm-hmm. say you know this is not we don't just have orgies here you know that's we're doing more than that yeah not just um, yeah exactly yeah.
0: those <laughs> so, those had, those had significantly faded into the background by by my tenure in- uh,
2: yeah yeah but what's so weird about all this is that all the negative coverage the raid the uh, you know I mean it was a health department thing too the raid that they were you know they got in by saying you know they weren't up to the code their mm-hmm. their ranch compound. Um, and, and, you know, but they also brought the portable crime lab with them. I mean, it was a real, obviously mid to late sixties, Southern California, there's a cult on every corner. I mean, but, but this was a particularly insidious one. I think one, some of the parents were, you know, they're organizing campaigns to shut it down. They were trying to eradicate it and they, they referred to CDU as a plague.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um w- So, you know, why then cut 30 years later, you know, parents were, were like enthusiastically sending their children to this place? Like how come they didn't go to their public library and look at all the, the old articles or, and how did, how did this get missed? Uh, if it was so apparent,
0: well, Well, how how, did it, yeah. How did
2: that transformation happen? I mean, that's an excellent question. I don't know if that can be answered easily. I don't know if I can answer that, Mm -hmm. um, I certainly think that CD was excellent at um, marketing and mm-hmm. changing and changing language. Uh, Mel Wasserman was, I guess in a way I, you know, I, I think Brace and I have heard this a lot about, you know, this kind of, this the idea of the Synanon spin-off. But for me, I think of Mel Wasserman as sort of the Ray Kroc of Synanon where he, he took, he didn't just take like the duplicatable bits and like, bring, bring it out into, you know, yeah. the mainstream, he really took on and he, he made it, um, safe and digestible sort of. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he was bringing in all the key players and he wasn't getting pushed back, you know, uh, Chuck wasn't, uh, Chuck Dietrich wasn't, um, trying to have him killed or anything like that. I mean, it was a real brotherly sibling kind of relationship, from my understanding, well, th- that's oh. what's sort of so fascinating about it because,
0: um, you know, with Sinan Sinanon had uh, similar to to Seadu uh, a lot of people who left early, you know, splittees mm. they'd call them, yeah. um, and uh, and Chuck hated them. I mean, he despised every he single did. one of them, yeah. and a lot of those guys left and started their own or started working at other. Rehabs, which did try to do like the Ray Kroc, um, you know, they they tried to basically mass market Cinnanon, like yeah. you know, day top here. I mean, just all over the country, these guys would would yeah. take what they had learned at Cinnanon and open up their own places, and you know, Chuck would rage about mm-hmm. them, uh, yeah. you know, publicly and privately. And what's so what's so notable about Cinnanon is, or excuse me, about Sidu's relationship with Cinnanon, is that Sidhu basically did a similar thing where they, where they took large swaths of, of the synonym program and, and under a completely different uh, you know uh, leadership structure, you know, but Chuck, they did where they were not paying Chuck Diedrich, yeah. uh, you know, marketed this thing. Um, yeah. and, and Chuck, I, I can't find any negative relationship about them or any private correspondence that Chuck sent, you know, talking shit about CD or anything like that. And, and see do, took prominent members like bill lane from synanon yeah and had him there designing the program which was really just again you know large largely synanon yeah uh, and it's so strange because it really is only so like it's like basically the only really official successor that you will find it's hard to call it a successor because you know it, it started during synanon's um Sort of the waning parts of Cinnanon's heyday late heyday for Cinnanon.
2: Was it I don't think it was waning though. I mean in, in, in 1966, yeah. 67, it was really, you know, and and they were also, you know, Mel was really leaning into Hollywood too. He was he was seeing that you could kind of lure celebrities and and you see this too. I mean, there was like a charity baseball game with the monkeys and Alice Cooper, yep. you know. I cannot believe Brooks. Alice Cooper did that. Yeah, I I had heard, um, I'd heard a rumor from someone who was there that Alice Cooper then, you know, played a little concert, uh, at SIDU in the, in the main lodge. His music was, you know, out of agreement. You weren't actually allowed to hear it, but here he was anyway, doing a concert and he was drunk from what I was told in a rehab. I mean, at that point it was not like this emotional growth or sensitive kids with depression. It was like a, you know, just a cutthroat rehabilitation center and he's drunk. Uh, that's just gossip. Who knows if that's true, but you know, that's, uh, that's what you know, I heard. It's funny you, you say that because, you know,
0: the, the, the thing about it being a rehab and then sort of later becoming a, uh, a place for both kids who have maybe issues with addiction, but also for kids who just have like depression or some, yeah. some sort of vague psychological, um, you know, category that they're put in. Uh, you know that that I think is the real transformation of both cdu and the industry as a whole, coming from this nineteen um, sixties like fear of juvenile delinquency or fear of like everybody falling into drugs, yeah. to really this like nineteen nineties like my kid has, um, unfortunately he has ADD and anxiety and we need to put him in this program which is going to exacerbate both of those things but hopefully by the end uh, he'll be cured by that. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, to me, it seems like cdu and the industry as a whole really adapted to change with the, um, I guess, the popular, uh, the popular struggles in parenting. I don't know how to how to put mm-hmm. that, but like the 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 popular sort of psychological or like juvenile issues of the day, which yeah. really did transform from being primarily about drugs and like teen rebellion to being about, um, you know, depression or, or, or mental issues, but also, you know, drugs as well. But I think drugs really seen as like an out, uh, that's how they were really treated at, 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 at Monarch as an outgrowth of, of psychological issues.
2: Yeah. Well, I think what happened was, um, and again, it's so hard to distill this, but I, from my understanding, the, the major change Uh, Especially with SeaDo, and I think Mel Wasserman is viewed, at least within this kind of smaller industry, as having revolutionized um, a kind of alternative education that became acceptable. So, uh, what they did was they they blobified into like special education. Yeah. Uh, uh, The thing that I, I mean, I think about this all the time. Uh, Bill Lane was running a transport uh, agency. While he actually started, while he was at CDU, he started escorting kids from one CDU program to another. And then mm-hmm. transport became this, this huge, huge, uh, like, like, subcategory of the so-called troubled teen industry. It was mainstream enough, though, for his transport company to have a vendor's table at a very dry special ed academic conference um, that was put on by the state here in Illinois. I mean, Illinois really propped up um, the trouble teen industry and has for decades. You can, uh, you know, it's some of these programs are, you know, if you send your kid out of state, it's at the taxpayer's expense, which is, uh, yeah, it's really overlooked. Um, And it's, I think every state has some variation of this. But if your kid, you know, as an IEP and you're not satisfied with public school, you can talk about other placements um, and you can get the state to pay for residential treatment out of state. Um, I worked on a a, a big re- report that came out a couple of years ago and uh, out of it was MP- NPR Illinois and mm-hmm. I was the source for that um, and I did an interview too uh, and it, it really the... I wish it got more attention because, you know, once, once regular folk realize that this is, that they're paying for this bullshit, you know, you think that maybe there would be an end to it, but, but there hasn't really been, I mean, the pandemic changed uh, enrollments, but it's still a business. And, you know, so I, I, my point here is that um, you're up against an alien invasion, except like the aliens are all quoting John Dewey. And that's kind of, where we're at now. It's like they are within special ed and special ed's a broad category. So your kid may have depression, but he could be receiving special education treatment for it. And if that isn't working in your, you know, in your public school, well then maybe there's a place for, you know, therapy camp or whatever, this nice little place in Utah or whatever, or Northern Idaho. So it really, a lot of things haven't changed. Um, since I was there, since you were there, you know.
1: Well, let's get into that because I think we've been kind of circling around this. I mean, at the heart of all of your investigations and journalistic work uh, into this industry, including the piece in the LA Magazine, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, um, is your own experience at one of these facilities. And I'm wondering yeah. if you can, if you don't mind just talking a little bit about that and, um, you know, how that kind of informed your work today.
2: Yeah. I mean, um, I was, um, shipped off. I was a freshman in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, I was shipped off in January. I guess it was, you know, this is January. Um, not, not, not that long, you know, in some ways. Um, but yeah, I was shipped off in January of 99. Um, and I, I did not do the full two-year term. I was pulled and I went right back to public high school. Um, so I was at C.D.U. for about, I think it was like 15 or 16 months, which is still a long time.
1: That is a long time.
2: Um, so I, I mean, my, my, my enrollment, um, I don't want to kind of go on too much of a digression, but, um, it, there was a family, uh, in Chicagoland They're they're called the Swibels. Influential family, uh, Howard Swibel and Cheryl Swibel, and they were running a uh, foundation, the, S- the Friends of Cdu Foundation, uh, massively influential uh, in recruiting uh, mm-hmm. kids, and m- more important, they were—I uh, mean—they were really proselytizing the Cdu education, and it was very—it was, was such a, um, a hard sell. Howard Swibel to my family that my dad still remembers it. He remembers it more than you know actually like sending like me off. It was, you know, know, it was this. The Swibel family um are notorious uh and a very political family. Uh Howard Swibel's dad was the chairman of the Chicago Housing Authority. Oh God. Long tenured. Um, I mean the Swibel's kind of created. Uh, modern Chicago Um, and um, I think my family was enamored with the Swibels, particularly my father they were kind of in this rarefied dinner jacketed world not where my you know my mom's an elementary school teacher and my dad um, he was selling seasonal products I mean he he wasn't you know this wasn't uh, that much of an affluent background we were doing okay but you know it wasn't it wasn't the swibbles. Yeah. Um, and they were, the Swibels were um, brilliant at selling this idea of family reunification. Uh, that you need to like go out of state to get close with your family. Yeah. And yeah. they were, they had a profound uh, impact on um, this idea of like the SIDU parent Um, Mm. education, which was this other component that was far more successful. So my, I think, um, my own parents were concerned with my behavior at the time. I was getting more depressed. I was loaded up on antidepressants, which I thought were, were ugly and insidious. And I wanted off of, Mm -hmm. I thought they were causing more problems than, um, than needed, but my parents were worried nonetheless, and they weren't looking for um residential treatment it's not like they were wanted to send me anywhere out of out of state cd was the only place they had heard of the only place they looked at and even then they thought it was a giant leap um to like send this freshman in high school who's kind of moody and uh spiky and yeah. defiant a little bit not not terribly but also getting really good grades i mean it was it wasn't like um truant or any of that. So yeah, what happened was, you know, um by pure unluck, the Swibels were my aunt and uncle's neighbor. And I'm not close with my aunt and uncle. My parents weren't particularly close with my aunt and uncle. Um uh they make um let, let's put this into context my aunt and uncle they they make like um like Roger ale seem like studs Turkle. I mean, they're, <laughs> <Good God. laughs> they're, they're, they're far right. I'm estranged yes. from them. You know, my parents are basically estranged from them too. Yeah. yeah but they yeah. were very, but my aunt uncle, uh, aunt uncle far right. were really close with, um, with the Swibels and, and the Swibels just kind of volunteered to show up at uh, my parents' house mm. with this, oh, wow. with this pitch for c and they had heard of it. And it was a, a therapist that I was seeing who, who also, you know, loved C D who's this old hippie therapist, this yeah. deadhead who had great success sending other kids to C D and happened to have a VHS and a brochure, you know, it was this kind ah, of, but he also, but he was also really close with the Swibels, and, mm. you know, it was all this real kind of web of bullshit, um, that I, I sort of saw through, uh, but my parents couldn't. And it was really the Swibels' pitch at reunification at, uh, my, my dad called Howard Swibel a messiah of hope. Um, and all of it was bullshit, all of it. And I'm actually quite close with um, the son that they were using, uh, the son that went to CEDU. He did do the full term um, and they used him in all of their marketing. They said that, you know, if it weren't for, they named him, you know, he was just part of their story for the Friends of CEDU Foundation. Which was also founded by, no, no, they founded Howard, Howard and Cheryl, but they then brought in a guy named Joel Horowitz, who was, um, you know, part of the, I think it was Tommy Hilfiger or something like, we should fact check that, but he was part of that kind of branding machine, Mm, you know? Interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I mean, later on there, I mean, their, their own kid was referring to CD as an institutionalized cult. That was his phrase. But his parents were using his story as a success story. He was the poster boy for CEDU, for the Friends of CEDU Foundation. Um, and they were hiring up a lot of ex people for yeah. the foundation. And they changed their name to the Friends and Families of Children in Crisis mm-hmm. after CEDU kind of closed down. And they did the same thing, but across the entire industry.
0: It's, you know, it's, um, it's funny. Like that, that, that's that same pitch I think is used on so many different parents by so many different, you know, whether it's individual educational consultants or therapists or something like this, but like mm-hmm. we, it, it's essentially this promise for, for family reunification, but the sort of implication there is that like, well, you're the parents, like you guys are kind of already there, <laughs> but like your kid yeah. is, yeah, is, yeah. is missing. And like, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take them away, um, Fix them up, and then, you know, you're you're you'll start to visit them, and you'll see these changes, and they'll come back to you as your old son that you remember from when, you know, they were a little eight year old boy or something. Yeah. And it's, you know, um, you know, I know there's some problems with that. That I can't remember her first name, but uh, the the book by uh, Slavits uh, helping. Oh any yeah, homes. yeah, yeah. But but one of the things that I remember Maya. when I first Maya, um, one of the things I remember when I first first read it uh, that stuck out to me. And that seems so simple and obviously true was that like, you know, a lot of kids are kind of fucked up when they're 13 or 14. And then, you know, what happens? They grow up, you know, a couple years go by and they get things like, you know, and sometimes it's not very fun and sometimes it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, doesn't, you know, it's, it's a painful process, but like, um, you know if your kid has some depression by the time they're 14 there's a there's a large uh area between that and then sending them to what is essentially like a um a group home yeah. you know uh and, and so you you know i i'm i'm familiar with their story but you know you were you were you were sent away and you you know you were not transported there i was you, not you you had the uh I can't. Actually, it sounds almost more traumatizing. We dropped off by your family yeah. because at least I had some stranger to hate. Um, you know, what were your initial reactions to 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 C-Doo? Because to I mean. To, In in my memory, I I know I had no familiarity with this kind of stuff. I mean, I had been to wilderness, and so I had I had sort of like heard rumors and sort of you know heard these heard these sort of tall what I thought were tall tales from people, but then to be thrust into this world that is you know uh, you know first of all totally uh, rural, Mm -hmm. and then second of all just filled with really obscure sort of '60s lingo, um, and all these sort of strange esoteric practices. you know, for me, it was a it was a huge shock, and I it was oh, almost like I remember thinking like everybody here must be insane except for me because I've seemed like I'm the only person who realizes the absurdity of all of this. Yeah. Um. And, and you know, what, what was what was your reaction to?
2: to I was CD a startled program? contactee. I mean, it was like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's like, you know, I also, I mean, what was your move in process like? Because f- I mean, for me, it was you know. You're photographed, you get a cavity search, you know, take away all your civilian clothes. I mean, so, I mean, I was like this nice suburban kid that had never really, you know, I I had no context for what was happening. Uh, and then I couldn't get a phone call out, you know, like after all that happened, I was like, Oh wait, this is a mistake. Let me call my dad. He's still on the mountain. You know, if I can can just call the motel and he could pick me up and then, that's it. And they wouldn't let me make a call. So it was just like, yeah, you
0: know. No, th- I mean, that, that was, that was, I, I had not at that point after Wilderness, I was like, there's, there's, it's going to be pretty restricted communication here. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was sort of shocked. I remember when they told us, because we, I mean, I, I can't tell you, we had the exact same program basically yeah. as you guys. Yeah. And so it was the same thing. I mean, I think you guys were allowed one minute phone call every two weeks. Yep. That's what we got as well. And we did it. um, uh, The person who sat next to me during that was the son of a director of a CEDU school. Um, And uh, they were ready to essentially pull the plug on a call. If you started to talk about um, your problems with the program. Uh, You know, for me, I remember my parents, I mean, and the staff told us this, like we've told your parents that you're going to lie to them and manipulate them. And so, to take any negative words that you say with that context. um, And we're going to let you say as few of those negative words as possible. Mm -hmm. And so, I remember just feeling really trapped and trying to think of like a way to get around that. Like, I was like, well, okay, like I know that like they've taken all these safeguards to where whatever I say that's bad about the program will not be believed. And so, I have to somehow communicate that. But, you know, I actually never. I mean, I eventually changed, changed tact when I realized like I, I actually had a plan to run away. And so I was like, I, I actually, I, I became very positive about the program in order to get a home visit so I could make my escape. But, um, it was, I remember trying to figure out how to get around that and I, and I couldn't and there's sort of this feeling of like trapped desperation because even though you get these phone calls with your parents, you are, are essentially forced to be dishonest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and communicate something that's not actually true.
2: Absolutely correct. I can't, yeah, you, you nailed it. I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, for, for me, I, I, it took about six months, a good mm-hmm. six months of um, trying every conceivable way to get out. Yeah. Um, every embarrassing thing I could think of. Um, I just destroyed myself really for six months trying to leave and then I realized I am going to because you know one of the kind of therapeutic techniques shall we say was mm-hmm. you know forced confession and also yeah. lots of disclosure and storytelling you're always telling your story over and over and over so you have once all these a disclosures week on sw- swirling around like everyone's dirt lists you know you yeah. knew everything what that also meant is I could ape other kids and then I could eventually figure out who is the one that has the most, you know, the most privileges and how can I just become that person? And maybe if I just, you know, appear to be doing the program, I will get more uh, time with my parents more off-campus visits. I can actually leave home, you know, I mean, go, not like, I mean, go return home, you know, have yeah. these kind of, uh, these two day, you know, where you fly back home. Yeah. And I did that. So I became, I became a dorm head. I was doing, uh, I was giving campus tours cause you know, all the tours had to be done by kids we were we were selling the place. We were doing all the groundskeeping. We we're doing all the selling of it as well. It,
0: it's funny. I, in your in your, I think it's in the Medium Anonymous or in the Running My Anger piece yeah. that you wrote. Um, you describe yourself as like a California real estate agent. Yeah, that's kind of how of you weird.
2: felt. But that's you know, it's funny because my mom. That's what she remember. She she went. She took a tour as well, and on her on her own. And she came back, and what she remembered was that it looked pretty. You know, like yeah, that's the takeaway. That's a takeaway um, from all of these places, yeah. Yeah, it there's it looks pretty. So yeah, that's right. There's there's rivers and there's mountains. You know, your mm-hmm. favorite, your favorite. So, <laughs> um, you know, like, uh, I, I I guess it was what I'm saying is I, I looked at the counselors and I stopped seeing them as like the prison guards. I looked at my parents and they were the ones that I needed to appeal to. Um, and once I figured that out, I was you know I was pulled not long after. So I mean, yeah. it took a while. Um, of just being totally stupid and defiant. Um, I mean, I was always out of agreement in my own way, you know? Um, Well,
0: we should, we should, we should explain to the audience, um, you know, agreements were, what they called rules yeah which is a really i remember even at the time i was not the most perceptive 13 14 year old in the world and frankly i'm not the most perceptive <laughs> 33 year old in the world yeah, but i too. do remember at the time being like wow by calling rules agreements um you know ob- the obvious implication there is that like we're all agreeing to this and i yeah. remember these sort of like childish defiant arguments that i have I, well, well i don't agree with this yeah. and they'd be like well okay you don't agree with this then here's your punishment and i'm like but well, mm-hmm. that's a that's a you're describing a rule yeah. like an agreement is as far as my little you know teenage head was concerned something that two people maybe mutually came to an understanding on and agreed upon instead this was a list of rules foisted on you like they would be in any any kind of institution yeah. um and being out of agreement at Monarch, at least, could mean anything from um, digging stumps, which was my most common punishment. I, mm-hmm. I dug out a lot of stumps, uh, including in the winter. In fact, for all of the winter, uh, I dug out stumps. Yeah, um, or to to you know having basically what I guess you would call KP duty, um, you know, kitchen kitchen duty to, yeah. to whatever else. To and then eventually getting up to, and this happened to me a couple of times being on bans from people and not being able to speak to to either certain groups of people or to anybody at all they called it bands there too. yeah yeah i mean you, you got yeah yeah which is it's funny because they really did not update the lingo from, from c do <laughs>
2: yeah it seems that way yeah
1: So you have a line in your piece in LA Magazine. You say in 2015, the 10-year anniversary of Sidu's closure in Running Springs, I realized I'd become more curious than haunted. Yeah. And this that line really stuck with me when I was reading this piece. Um, that's such an interesting juxtaposition, like curious and haunted. And I think that you know, our our series on Sinanon and Brace's experience, um, which dovetails, obviously, as you guys are, you know, illustrating so much with yours, I think kind of walks the line between both, you know, curiosity and, and a haunting. And, there, and there's a way in which I think dealing with these experiences, you're sort of, you know, these like traumatic moments, you're sort of presented with that, not as like a fork, right? But that there's mm-hmm. these sort of two, um, you know, pools you can feel within yourself, right? Yeah. And I'm, and I guess I'm curious, um, you know, what you, what, what was really pulling you, what, what the kind of curiosity there was pulling you, versus a kind of feeling, kind of haunted by this experience.
2: Well, when I returned um, from Cidu, and I went right back into public school, mm-hmm. I was leaving Cidu because I was pulled. I was basically shunned from yeah. the family, you know, the Cidu family, uh, my peers. I mean, I had friends there. Um, but even then, I mean, it was, what well, I was doing something, I was doing the worst thing you could possibly do because the, because, you know, Do considered itself, you know, not just a business, but also this, it was, it was a cult. I mean, Saints, I mean yeah. yeah, so, I mean, uh, the, yeah. you know, my, my, parents were getting it at their end as well. Um, just this kind of, uh, brutal, arrogant, indifferent, attitude towards pulling and that it, not it wouldn't just like break apart the family but you know then they're going to wash the you know the CDU world's going to wash their hands of all the saffrons you know you don't exist mm-hmm. and that was a really helpful coping mechanism for me when i returned because if they didn't find me authentic then i can say it never happened so i i cut this out of my life completely uh and I, I mean, my, my, my normal friends, you know, when I return is they, they barely ask questions anyway, cause you know, they're dopey high school kids, but I could, you know, I could lie and say, so, you and know, I was, well, I was testing a private school, you know, for a year and a yeah. half, you know, and wherever, you know, um, and no one really asked questions and my parents weren't pressing me at all. I mean, I was having serious nightmares, mm-hmm. um, Yeah. I was also trying to get off the meds that I'd been on for three years or four years. Um, so that was my, my motivation was to have as normal a life as possible to return to the life I had previously had and to get off these dumb fucking meds. That was it. So I, I cut it out for 15 years and it was a really, I didn't, I mean, I, I, you can't really return to therapy in my case, at least, you know, I mean, I was, I went to a place that was trying every, possible bullshit self-help so i'm not going to be affected by normal therapy anyway so and i yeah. don't i know you can't do the thing that triggers you so yeah. I, I avoided it um yeah. still avoid it I'm, it's just not for me um what i want to do is have life and experiences outside of this world and um, and read a lot and make music and you know whatever be as debauched as I could, but in a healthy way. So, um, and, and basically to do every, to have a life that would be everything CD was against. Yeah. Just, just proudly, um, flaunt what they consider destructive and prove that it's not. Um, so I did that for 15 years. I always expected because CD was so influential. This was the thing, you know, this was, you know, the, the foundation of an entire industry and it, its tentacles were everywhere. So I always expected media to do something, especially on a 10th anniversary of its closure, at least in California. I mean, it's still operating yeah. in Idaho and it never happened. And I, so, and I also kept trying to find, you know, I kept this a secret. I finally told my girlfriend, it was a, I couldn't, I I was in love. I couldn't drag this thing around anymore. I had to tell her I didn't have the language for it. Yeah. So then I started looking around and the language wasn't there either. There was no comprehensive Mm. summing up of the thing. So then I said, all right, I got to do this. That's my curiosity. It's like, how, how come this hasn't occurred so I, I tried, and then I thought I could get a lot of help from, from editors. And I was, you know, it took three years to write this dumb thing because it, not because it took three years of me, just like, you know, I was doing a sentence a week. It was yeah, because yeah. I was, you know, uh, well, one, I mean, you, you know, this, you know, you have to, if you're putting in like records requests, you expect something in three weeks and then it arrives like eight months later. Yeah. But I was also sending drafts on spec to editors thinking, Naively, like someone was gonna run this. Someone's gonna really want to do a comprehensive retrospective on the thing. And there was some interest, but it was more like I'm I kept pitching and repitching and banging my head against the wall with editors and the media. They just didn't want to do this. So finally I'd had it three years of doing an independent thing. You know, this this I'm just like and waiting for, you know. The guardian to come forward or, or someone mm-hmm. to just be like, you know, we're the, 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 I, there were two reasons for rejection that I heard over and over and over. And one was it was too, it, you can't do a first person investigation that it doesn't work. You're too close yeah. to it. And the other was we don't want to get sued because CDU may not be in existence anymore, but this is a very litigious, you know, community mm-hmm. and we know it and we can't afford, you know, our, our outlet can't afford some kind of frivolous lawsuit, yeah. especially if it's a freelancer's work. So I was hearing these things over and over. I said, fuck this. I'm going to just put it up on Medium and I'm going to do it anonymously, not because I care about being sued necessarily, but because I don't want this story to be about me. Yeah. I want to use my story to underscore, you know, or push back on some kind of claim that I know isn't true. But beyond that, this isn't about me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did it, you know. Well, you
1: were able to use kind of your, you know, I guess it's three years work into like investigating into CDU. You were able to kind of use that not as a jumping off point or, or I mean that that makes its way really into like the hands of
2: actual investigators, police investigators. Can you
1: walk us through that?
2: Yeah. I mean, that, well, you mean the, the actual investigation that I was consulting on?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, because so. I mean, for those to to put this in a little more context, um, you're talking about the the running my anger piece. That's like yeah, that really was the piece. Comp- it was it's, medium anonymous.
2: Yeah, I I, I yeah, mean, it was a joke. medium anonymous. Is a joke. I mean, it was because I'm posting on medium and anonymous. I'm anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> Just to put that into context for me, that was
0: the first piece that I had read as somebody who went to one of these schools. Who somebody who went to a school that was almost exactly the same as your school. Um, that was the first thing that I had ever encountered. Uh, that was like, oh, this is my experience. Like this was this, this, that, that really, that piece just for me actually really helped me to give me the language to like think about this stuff because I had the same experience coming home and like not, I mean, I ran away and sort of, um, I had, you know, long, we, we talked about that in, in a previous for listeners. We talked about that in a previous episode called brat camp that was not part of the game series, but, um, that was, uh. I I tried to not to think about it for a really long time, uh, and then it 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 you know came up and it came up and it came up, and I finally read that piece. And I was like, "This is this is the language." Um, but but yeah, I mean,
2: you know, I'm you, so glad. You, I mean, that really you know that makes me very happy because that's what I wanted. You know, like these kids to to read this and just instead of having a conversation with the parents, they could just like send the link and say, yeah, "You you yes. read this, and then we'll talk." I did. Yeah, you know.
0: yeah. Um, you know, but like Liz said, that that actually ended up in the hands of um of a deputy at the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department. Um, detective, detective, excuse me. Yeah, uh, and. Well, that that deserves a little bit of unpacking. First of all, why would a detective at the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department in 2021 be looking up CDU at all, a school that closed it at Running Springs, at least, in 2005?
2: Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, the short answer is that there are three missing persons cases um, still open, never mm-hmm. solved, that uh, occurred on campus, three kids, all boys. Ninety-three, ninety-four, 94 and 2004 and they've never properly been investigated at all so a new detective new, uh, newly promoted detective uh, named alicia rosa uh was assigned to the twin peak station which is the you know the small the twin peak station yes the aptly Come named on, twin Peaks station um in Twin Peaks, you know, it's in the San Bernardino Mountains. It's one of yeah. the many small mountain communities that make up that particular area. Uh, but it's part of the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department. So she she looked. She was basically what she was doing is she was going through all the missing persons accounts in the region. And then she was kind of shocked to see there was three that occurred on the, in the same location, which is rare. So she she revived them. It's not like she reopened these cases; like they were open, they just were inactive. Um, and then she started looking up do. and uh, she she found my article and she found my work credible. Uh, I mean, I've done other things besides yeah. that that article, and she asked me to consult on her investigation. Um, that was November 2021, and uh, not long after. Uh, her investigation shut down somehow by her superiors um and at, you know to date there's a giant question mark about whether that investigation is even happening um it was taken up by homicide cold case unjustifiably uh the the detective is is not permitted to to work these to assist on her own you know cases essentially yeah. um there's a lot of questions swirling about how the twin Peaks station handled or mishandled these cases and CDU in general i mean the the numbers they they knew all the dark doings that were happening yeah. you know yeah. inside cdu for decades um basic stuff like you know call logs even tell a story of how they flagrantly ignored um, runaways AWOLs. I mean, the numbers are extraordinary. Um, the calls they were getting, uh, rather, what I'm saying is, you know, they're getting hundreds and hundreds of calls about runaways, and they were I- not investigating, they were not searching, they were not doing area checks, just completely washing their hands of, of anything having to do with this place, for a number of reasons.
1: Yeah, what do you think those reasons are?
2: Um, uh, well, I think one... One has to do with just, you know, Cedu. Uh, the area was, a, you know, was sort of a company town. I mean, Cedu yeah. employed everyone. The town doctor was also the medical director for Sidu His wife was, you know, like it's spouses were working in this place. It was a no, real. No, this is
0: exactly how it was at Monarch in the yeah. town, in the little yeah, yeah. town that we were And
2: in. exactly how it is. In, you know, when you were in Sandpoint, I mean, it was this, you were in. That's, that's, country. I mean that's that
0: sea Sea-Doo country through and through. I mean, yeah. they were at one point the biggest employer in
2: Bonner County. That's right. Yeah, and it was the same thing with um, uh, you know, and I think it was like you know, Lake Arrowhead skiing and sea doo and that was like yeah. those were your, you know, it was a, such an economic hub for for that particular area. Um and they were sea doo oh man. I mean, I think at a certain point they realized that putting a snake in the mailbox is not going to be uh, successful. You need like a cease and desist. Yeah. So they started really, I mean, they, they would sue detectives who were mm. uh, not just detectives. They, they would sue law enforcement officials looking into wrongdoing. You know, they would file complaints against deputies that were getting a little too close uh, they, they consider themselves a self-policing institution, do. and uh, they hire their own private detectives, you mm-hmm. know, the, which they called escorts. Um, and, and largely the, you know, the local mountain cops tolerated that. You yeah. know, these are out-of-state kids. Um, we don't want to get sued by a thuggish, brutal kind of Roy Cohn-esque program that could take us on. Um, and so the AMAC just co-opted the town, co-opted everything. It, it,
0: it's funny too, like, you know, for instance, I, I ran away from Monarch twice, actually. I ran away after about a week there, I ran through the woods and then I successfully ran about a year later. Um, and I remember thinking like, well, if I run, when, when I, when I did run, I was actually caught by staff, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, they called the police and, you know, I'm a 14-year-old kid and if I told the police like, "Hey, I'm at this insane cult." Like, yeah. they are making us do all this weird shit, like I you know, I, I they're not I, my parents sent me here. I don't know what's going on. Uh, you know, what they would do is they wouldn't investigate anything I I I said. They would just send me right back there. Yeah. And that that's the case with all these places. Like, the police aren't there to like You know, I can't, you can't call the police if you, if you are beaten at one of these programs, there's no way you can call the police. And if you do call the police, no one's going to fucking jail. You know what I mean? Like you have absolute, you have, you have, um, less, less rights in one of these programs than you would in, in, you have uh, no rights. You have no rights. Yeah, you have You said you rights. Sent, yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, I can't really stripped, think of You're a stripped, you're stripped of all your personal have.
2: rights. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I have a question for you though. Did you get the option of like getting 5150? Because usually, you know, if the cops picked you up, you know, in, in Running Springs, yeah. You have a choice. You can go back to this tripped-out treatment center that you're struggling to escape from, or you could go to either a juvenile detention center or you go to the the hospital, you know, to get 5150 treatment. And a lot of kids opted off mountain because you can get access to a payphone.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I well, I was I was caught by staff, so that that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but but I for other kids, absolutely and, yeah. chosen fifty one fifty. Are you crazy? Yeah, yeah right. if you're ever if you're Better ever food. in a situation like that, choose the second location, motherfucker. Do not yeah. go back yeah. to the original location because yeah. you know the, the future is unwritten. So you could you could who knows? Maybe you escape from the nut house. Yeah. Um, But, but no, it's, 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 it's funny. Like the relationship that, that the police have with these programs is so opposite from the relationship that the police initially both had with CEDU and had with Synanon in that they were, they were really like, you know, there'd be these raids, they'd come down on them. Um, and then at the end by the 1990s, I mean, they were essentially functioning as like ancillary employees in some cases. And and like you said, yeah, like they, they were very litigious, um, you know, you mentioned there's this one one uh, sheriff's deputy, Charles Wyatt, yep. and you you post his logs here too. And I mean, some of these uh, are sort of astounding. I mean, 220 on this. In 2004, Charles Wyatt was investigating a rape he believed occurred but received no cooperation from the CDU staff. You know, two CD staff yeah. members told Charles Wyatt that CD was not required to make reports to CPS or law enforcement and they disagreed with mandatory reporting requirements, you know. Yeah, those those were
2: depositions that were taken for Daniel Ewan's case. So that they they occurred after uh mm-hmm. CD was closed and um and Wyatt ended up uh, he's deceased, but he ended up a crime reporter. He had left the the sheriff's department and he was writing for the Mountain News. Um He's also responsible for um, bringing in a DOJ consultant in 2009 mm-hmm. to investigate the possibility of a serial killer, James Lee Crummel, and the other two yeah. missing kids, which I think was very misguided and um, has had a, a kind of a negative impact on um, wanting to investigate these cases. Um, well, let's, let's talk about these kids
0: these kids really quickly um you know there's there's like you said there's three of them two Mm -hmm. from the 90s john inman and blake persley yeah and then from 2004 daniel yoon yeah and so can you can you i mean you know runaways are pretty common uh, or splittees are pretty common at these kind of places um it's a sort of natural reaction you get taken to somewhere that's (laughs) you think is insane. And you know, if you're a sane person, you want to leave there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, most of the time kids are caught in by somebody in some capacity. And again, like you said, either return there or return sometimes very rarely returned home. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of most of the time returned to the facility. Yeah. Um, but in these three cases, uh, none of these kids were ever found. Um, and, like you said, you know the, the cases were still open. I mean, can you can you tell us the circumstances of these kids dis- disappearing?
2: Yeah, I mean, John John Inman is the most mysterious. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he he just you know, and there's a lot of what I should say before I even you know start talking about this is that there's nothing but conflicting accounts here on all yes, of them yeah. and Wilderness many, many discre- discrepancies and nothing adds up. And yeah. especially with Daniel Ewan's case, um, I mean, I'm writing a follow-up now about it and I've been, you know, helping his parents coming up on five years and nothing makes sense. There's, yeah. a, there's like maybe a line or two in a deposition. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, well, well that's possible. And then everything else is just kind of fantasy um and you know that's a a strategy too one of the agreements at cdu which uh we have in a it's an archived like rule book essentially um and one of one of them is no snitching yeah so uh you know it's the code of the streets is you know how they describe it there is you know no snitching Mm -hmm. so by the way that that's no snitching outside you yes, snitch to be inside. To be clear, snitch yeah, you inside, are, yes. You um, have to snitch inside. That's the, yes. It was the code of the streets, don't snitch to, you know, outsiders.
0: Yeah. yeah. So
2: so I can't really tell you. I know that um, all, all three disappeared under mysterious circumstances.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: John Inman, you know, he claimed he was just, you know, f- from the little we know, he was just, he wanted to get out. And he ran. Yeah, Blake um had severe uh, developmental disabilities yep. and a, a leg length discrepancy and walked with a limp and couldn't run. And yet somehow he outran adult staffers and disappeared into the night. Yet at the same time, from what I was told from my witness, he was actually being, he was at the middle school. Middle school kids were always monitored. So he was yeah. just en route from one building to another, and then he disappeared. This kid, Daniel Ewan, you uh, ask me anything. I have no idea. Uh, the missing persons report that we just obtained. Interestingly enough, the the deputy, who was uh, clearly a, a little bored, uh, identified Daniel Ewan as suspect number one, and the reporting party. A counselor and his suspicious story. He's he's labeled a victim. So if that tells you anything about uh, if it sums up the relationship between the mountain cops and Sidu, I think that's yeah. it. Is like the you know the person who possibly lied to law enforcement is a victim, and the kid who's trying to escape institutional child abuse is uh, a suspect. Suspect number one.
1: Yeah, the title of your piece is "Are Police Stifling the Investigation into Three Teens Who Vanished from a Controversial Residential Treatment
2: Facility?" Yeah,
1: and I hate the like. I mean, I th- I, think I, I didn't
2: I didn't come up with that title. <laughs> no, I don't Listen. mean I hate. It. Yeah. I'm
1: saying I mean I think it's you know the core the the crux of your piece is pretty obvious, which is yes, <laughs> at yeah. almost every turn from not just you know the like in the immediate aftermath of their disappearance and the like just immediate reporting, which, you know, we could talk about how long it took for any of that to actually happen in each of the cases, but then through like through the years following and then, you know, afterwards as reinvestigations or the cases were like, you know, allegedly tried to be like kind of reopened up. Right.
2: Yeah. I've never consulted on a police investigation before. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I try to avoid police <laughs> yeah me too I'm a I'm an old Chicago punk rocker like I'm you know I'm not they're, they're not they're not my friends yeah. so I did it I, I happen to like Alicia Rosa the detective um, I'm I find her passion and her enthusiasm just um, such a stark difference between everything I've encountered with police in these, you know, cases. Well, and, and it's, you know, it's,
0: it's sometimes it's such a, I don't, I don't, I, we, we talked about this before, but like when you have, even as an adult, when you have another adult being like, Oh my God, like right. that, w- that's insane. You're like, yeah. that's, it's a very validating thing to hear from an yeah. adult, especially someone in a position of authority.
2: Absolutely. It was the first time all this work, all the repercussions that went along with this work, the cost of it, the emotional cost, the health cost, all of it felt worth it. Uh, consulting on this investigation, mm-hmm. and then to see it fall apart, to get shut down, um, and then to see you know Daniel Ewan's parents hopeful again, and then just crushed again by. Um, an impenetrable amateurish sheriff's department. Uh, I'm not, I'm still reeling from it. I don't, uh, none of it makes any sense to me. And, and at the same time, it really kind of does make sense just knowing that you have a, 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 police department that just cannot for whatever reason, admit its errors. And in order to solve these cases, the sheriff's department has to admit its own wrongdoing and it's limitations and it's endless failures with Cdu So you have, you know, you have an institution that, I mean, it's a, it's just huge, huge sheriff's department. And yeah. all they want to do is make sure they want to ensure their reputation is as intact as possible. You can't do it in these cases. So you got to bury them. And where do you bury them? You bury them in the homicide department where they're absolutely, I mean, there's no evidence of these are even homicides. Um, why are they there? Yeah, I mean, that that, that was sort of
0: my, my next question there, is why are they in the homicide department? Because that's where you can
2: bury a, a, a case. That's yeah. where you can make it cold. There's a huge difference between a cold case and an open case. Yeah. You can you can make it cold by claiming there's a lack of evidence. You could put it in a drawer. You can give it an H number, which means it's, it's blocked. From my understanding, it's blocked from outside divisions working on it. And that's it, you know? And uh, and there you go. So you can take it from a, a missing persons detective, and uh, and lock it away in an elite unit that's always overworked anyway. You can make sure that it's not prioritized, mm-hmm. and you can call it a day. And that's that's where we're at now with these three cedar cases. So you know, unless people are vocal enough and the pressure is so overwhelming, um, they're going to get away with it, and they are um, so far. And that's, and I, I was, I'm saying this not as some sort of conspiratorial guy. Yeah. I just kind of ripped my hair out here. I'm, I'm speaking as someone who was asked to assist in an investigation and then watch that investigation completely collapse.
0: Well, that, that's what's sort of so astounding about it is that like, you know, two of these cases are from 1993 and 1994, right 2021 is when you start consulting on it yep you know and obviously i mean from from what you seem to describe this detective you know noticed that these three kids disappeared from the same place she's looking into it she 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 you know is is bringing in outside consultants to actually help and and really do a proper job on this
2: for the first time yeah she had Team Adam then, approved she got approval for an outside agency that is reputable yeah. To do this, not just some guy, you know, like...
0: And then it's 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 yanked from her and then shunted off to a drawer where it cannot be worked on. Yeah, And then she's forbidden from speaking to the press and speaking to you, even a, yes, a, as a person.
2: That's right. And admonished for requesting the cases back when it became clear they were not being prioritized. She, she asked for them back. And, you know, I, I was just texting with her a couple of days ago because I, I wanted... You know, the missing persons report that we got for Daniel Ewan, um, I wanted to know how much was redacted mm-hmm. versus, you know, um, what she saw. And, you know, she had to remind me, she doesn't have this stuff. You know, it's just, it was, it was all, the, all her files are now in a different, you know, they're down it. the mountain. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I, don't,
0: I don't really know. At the end of the day, like what we're talking about here is not like it's, it's, it's three missing, I mean in some cases for multiple, for three decades missing, missing kids, uh, you know, possibly dead, very possibly dead, um, that there is just like, was absolutely, I mean, that is just like, it's, it's, it's sort of extraordinary to think about that. Like, you know, three, three very possible deaths, um, and however that might've occurred or, you know, missing whatever, um. From from a single place, just totally not looked on, and and you know you mentioned earlier the call logs to the sheriff's department. I mean, there's almost a thousand calls about CDO, like you and, said. from, whoa, whoa, from whoa. Like, that's in
2: eight years. That's exactly. I mean, they won't they won't even give up the ones before ninety seven.
0: I know, and and something else you, you mentioned in the article is like yeah, there's a thousand calls from ninety seven to two thousand five, yeah. and before that, uh, the sheriff's department is claiming that they actually have they have no records due to a system switch.
2: Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Software upgrade. Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I don't understand what would happen. So all the records are gone? Of it, I so think if it's the crime... you know,
2: because they keep all their records in an iPhone, and they just, you know, it's
0: It's, yeah, just They, they just got lost. Yeah, got lost in, yeah, got lost Sorry. in That's
2: right, yeah, they can't get I, it. I
0: mean, it, it's, it's... It's it's bullshit, by
2: of... the way. I mean, it's all bullshit, because when I was consulting on the case, I was I'm looking at, you know, re- reports from, from earlier than 97. So why can't you say you know, you know, this is public and, information.
0: I mean, I guess just from my perspective, like you know, there is a quote conspiracy going on here, and I'm not saying it's like a conspiracy where like children are being abducted and you know their adrenochrome is being taken out or whatever. No, it's like there is there is a group of people who, uh, at the very least, want to cover up the fact that they essentially bungled. Any sort of investigation, whether it's a search and rescue operation or an actual like investigation into like a well, death. they didn't
2: search. They didn't search for John Inman, and they didn't yeah. search for Daniel Ewan. And Daniel Ewan's parents um, had to uh, threaten to complain, you know, if, uh, file a misconduct complaint to allegedly have the sheriff's department do an area check. And then I asked Wayne Ewan, well. Do you have any proof that they actually did it weeks later? And he said, no. So this is all happening. They're in Jersey. Their kid goes missing 3,000 miles away. Sidu uh, immediately uh, instructed the parents to hire one of their escorts, Keith Raymond, um, to search for Daniel. So on top of their own tuition costs, now they're paying for Cdu. They initiated the runaway services agreement for Cdu. Bill Lane had a hand in this too. I mean, this is kind of his thing, you know, where it's this additional fee. So you're paying, I mean, it's a huge, huge conflict of interest, but his parents are frantic. They're desperate. They don't understand what's happening. They're very confused. So they, they do that. And they, and Keith Raymond comes on the scene with his wife. They claim to look for Daniel. They can't find him on campus. Next thing you know, he's conveniently in San Diego. There's sightings. They claim that there's uh blood bloodhounds that they brought to the san diego park they're picking up a scent
0: i know that's fucking fake
2: well i mean they do not not only that but then um he reappears in 2000 late 2018 2019 not long after not longer uh, after i i was introduced to the un's uh, keith raymond who's had no uh, apparently any uh dialogue with the un's for over a decade he reappears he says he's sickly he's trying to understand this case it's on his mind he wants for any he wants to know if there's been any leads in the last decade plus next thing you know weeks later this do-gooder with no agenda uh happens to get a voicemail it's daniel no 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 i'm sorry this is where it gets very tricky he claimed at first that the voicemail came from like an anonymous caller saying daniel's alive he doesn't want to be found in the missing persons report. He changes that to, uh, there's a, su- it's a supplemental report in 2019 that was added. Uh, He's interviewed by um, a reporting officer and he claims it was a psychic that called Keith Raymond saying Daniel's alive. And then he uh, Raymond further amends that in a podcast we did a year later. And he says, it's Daniel himself. Nevertheless, Raymond goes back to the San Diego park and wouldn't, you know, he claims like five minutes being in the park. He speaks to someone who had just seen Daniel Ewan. This gets picked up by media. It becomes a sort of where's at risk Waldo for San Diego. Uh, all the local uh, ABC news is covering this. It gets, it, it really just becomes mainstream. And at this point, I mean, you have, um, I think it was, a uh, the, the director of communications for, for NCMEC, um, you know the national, the whatever it's the the, the main missing persons organization. Yeah, uh, she does a, a segment on uh, on Court TV, which is a Daniel Ewan friendly, tabloidy uh, outlet. Yeah,
0: yes, I'm familiar with Court TV. Yeah, no, I know
2: you are. No, no, I'm no, no, I know you are. I'm saying that it's a very, but it's Daniel. It's like Daniel oh, Ewan centric. Yeah. They do gotcha. so many yes. segments on Daniel Ewan. So she appears, the director of communications, and she. You you know it was a moment where finally someone could challenge this really dubious decades long sort of sightings of this guy, and she leans into it, and you know, and she says, you know, there's all these, uh, you know, there, you know, we we believe he was there, and after Sidhu, you know, she she. Uh, she kind of reinforces Keith Raymond's claims that maybe now he's alive still and has a family in San Diego. So what's happened is we've just become this, the story of Daniel Ewan is now, it's so complicated because his parents believe he's in San Diego. Um, And they've been, they've been led to believe this. And it's also given um, this has helped um the sheriff's department not investigated. I mean even in the missing persons report in the original one 2004 they twice the deputy twice mentions that the parents have hired um a private detective. Yeah. Why bother? You know, why bother looking into a CDU case if the parents have or uh, they're doing their own thing. Uh and if people are claiming he's alive, even better. I mean that's that's you know I, I get, I mean, you know,
0: from my perspective, obviously, I know less about this than you. It's like that, that, that seems unlikely uh, to me that he would, he would be in San Diego with a family and just have been totally under the radar this entire time. It, it, I mean, obviously, you know, this goes without saying. Actually, I'm going to say it, but that, <laughs> that detective's fucking lying, <laughs> you know, like the, these, like the, that is, that is, that is the, to me, that's a huge crock of shit. Do you mean um, Keith
2: Raymond? I mean, well, Keith, yeah, Raymond, Keith Raymond is a serial, yeah. serial liar. I can say that, yeah, of course, without yeah. question. I mean, he, 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 his, the, everything he said to me, everything he's said in, uh, under oath in the Daniel Ewan case is is questionable. He gets numbers wrong all the time, um, and also he's a C2 employee. And every time we tried to press him, he became, you know, he claimed he was very sickly. He would, he didn't even show up when. The U.N.s flew out to San Diego in 2019 to uh, to follow up on his leads with him. Uh, and then when we were doing the Lost Kids podcast, he, he said he was he was basically dying and he couldn't even talk to us. Yeah. So, um, you know, Detective Rosa, when she was working the investigation, she did track him down. And that was, you know, that that was a um, a rare moment where someone could finally press Raymond. Yeah. And, you know. What do you is know? Cases gone. He, he's still alive.
0: As far as I know, yeah. Because he was dying when you did that podcast, like yeah, yeah, yeah. He was dying also. A while, while ago. When the, yeah, he's. Yeah. He's just been. That's a. That, I guess in the, by those metrics, I'm dying right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that's that's sort of what's so heartbreaking about this because you know I've heard I've heard of interviews with the UNs, um, and I you know I can't imagine. The feeling of like, you know, sending your kid to this place that turns out to be a, a pretty different place than, than maybe even somebody with not the rosiest goggles might, yeah. might see it as, uh, and then your kid disappearing. And then every single person who should help you be helping you with this, you know, from the sheriffs to the staff at the school, to the private detective, yeah. that they have you hire, is fucking lying to you and misleading you and, and pointing exploiting, you every, you. exploiting you, right? Yeah. And ripping you off for fucking money. Yeah. Um, while your kid is somewhere, I don't know where,
2: you know, but and he was only there for less than two weeks. So yes, we're not yeah, talking about yeah. my 16 months or whatever. I mean, he, he was there for no time at all. And throughout that time, he was, uh, from everything I know. Uh, profoundly traumatized and uh, cr- and silent. Essentially, mm-hmm. he, he was not. Doesn't appear he was making a lot of friends. I think, for me, what really helped was making friends. And yeah. Um, also, I, I kind of viewed C.D.U. as the West Campus of my public high school because there were just so many fucking kids from Chicagoland, and really, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm talking, you know, like I had a friend who knew my who saw my punk band at Fireside Bowl or wherever it was, or you know, some venue. So, like, mm-hmm. it was we were all there together, um, and that that profoundly changed um, my own enrollment and uh, confinement. Um was friends. And I don't think Daniel was able to, to get that luxury. Yeah. Um, And then he, and then he vanished. And then, uh, I mean, what, what's really, I've been going through these, you know, the depositions for years now. And, and it's, you know, what, what account, what the count, the narrative, the counselor told the, the, uh, the deputy who responded to the call is so different than the narratives, you know, that we, we learned about the, you know, the circumstances, alleged circumstances from testimony. And it really hasn't really been, it hasn't been made public yet. Um, most of it, but the narratives are crazy. I mean, one, one kid, uh, let me back up the narrative that the, the counselor Stephen Kravchuk told the deputy was that, uh, Daniel walked off to buy cigarettes. That was it. He just kind of huffily left to get some smokes. And that was taken as fact. So in the missing persons report, it says that the probable destinations, quote unquote, probable destinations, were a gas station or Arrow Bear, um, a neighboring town. Uh, a lot of questions with that one. One, the first thing is Daniel had never been in the Running Springs before. He'd never been in the San Bernardino Mountains. He doesn't know
0: where the fuck the town is. Exactly.
2: Like his entire... Perspective is C.D.'s facility. Um, cigarettes were forbidden. Was it? it was, I'm sure it was like that at Monarch too. Yeah, of course
0: you, you can't smoke. leave to go buy a cigarette. I mean, that's. It's, yeah. it's, I was. I was at Monarch. In two thousand and four, yeah, same we yeah. same program as do. Yeah. We were not allowed to go buy. You know what I would do is I would roll up toilet paper in the fucking uh, porta potty outside <laughs> yeah. the classroom, and I would pretend to smoke cigarettes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I did that too. Yeah, you were definitely not al-
2: and, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, but you were definitely not allowed to. Uh, no, I mean that's 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 absurd. That's like me saying I'm going to Mars or something. If right, the that's to ex- my that's property. exactly what
2: it was. It's going to Mars. So yeah, uh, there was there was no whatsoever follow-up because the deputy just, you know, it's a Sunday morning, didn't want to go to see you anyway, probably. And, you know, he made, he took the report moved on. Um, none of that made any sense. They also didn't check. So it's, you know, all these probable destinations weren't actually investigated. So.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, what's the point
2: of fucking taking them? Right. So, well, I mean, and again, I mean, what's the point of even taking this report if Daniel Ewan is listed as the suspect, and the reporting party yeah. is the victim. So the, the, um, the narratives that are coming from, you know, the, the in-house narratives that are being pulled based off depositions in the civil case that the UNS launched against CIDU. Um And at the time that, that they, that this was launched um, all the San Diego sightings had already emerged. So, you know, They kind of weren't maybe asking the right questions. The lawyers were concluding things that for me make me want to, you know, bang my head against the wall. Yeah. Nevertheless, there are these dueling narratives about what happened to Daniel. One guy says he was, you know, uh, sweeping next to him uh, in the backside of campus. It's mountain perched. So it's just, it's cliffside, you know, here's your main lodge. Here's the mountain. They're sweeping in the back of the campus. And Daniel disappears, which, you know, short of wrapping yourself in an invisibility cloak and jumping on a helicopter, probably unlikely. And yet that's it. So there's another version of the escape narrative. Then there's another one that says um, at the time of his disappearance, Daniel was being monitored um, 24 seven by, by an escort another resident because he was, or he was he was non complying with everything. So they had him being monitored all the time. They so they would a,
0: do that to kids at mine too. Exactly.
2: You know? Yeah, they did. So in a in a free moment uh, where he was unmonitored, uh, Daniel bolted, and another kid saw him fleeing, tackled him, and he was restrained by a kid until a staffer could bring him, you know, to the dorms. He hauled him off to the dorms for some indefinite amount of time, and then that. The kid who restrained him testified uh, that he saw Daniel that day, like throughout that Sunday. If even half accurate, that would have meant the deputy was taking down his report for a runaway juvenile with the runaway juvenile still on campus. Um, That also raises a number of other questions about restraint because I don't know how it was at Monarch – but kids weren't really supposed to be restrained, especially the uh, the high school aged kids. Like they, 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 they you know, CD prided itself on not doing, you know, restraint. They did. They did Physical restrain restraint.
0: to Monarch. Yeah. Did they? Yeah, but there were, there just wasn't really like that many kids getting them.
2: Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. But were kids restraining other kids? No, you were de- – no,
0: definitely right. you were – actually, I did see that happen once with this kid, Daryl, but it wasn't supposed to happen. Wasn't was supposed to – yeah, right. So it's, yeah. It was kind of just a kid got beat up.
2: Yeah. Well, it's a little different than, you know – Yeah. You know, some uh, some random teens seeing Daniel fleeing and feeling like he needed to do something and you restrained yeah. him. Yeah. So, you know, all these things conflict. They make very little sense. Um and no one followed up on them, you know. No one put anyone under polygraph. Not like polygraphs really can amount to much. But still, like there was no official investigation or looking mm-hmm. into false narratives or any of this stuff. Um, really, until Detective Rosa launched these cases, and as soon as she started doing that, you know, you know the rest.
0: Yeah.
1: In so many ways, I think your piece in LA Magazine mirrors some of. I mean, I don't want to speak for you, Braceful. I'm going to speak for you, or not for you, but at you, or describe you, maybe. I don't know. know We'll see. You have my permission to do all three. But I think that your piece um, in LA Magazine, you know, kind of serving as this culmination in so many ways of this, you know, your own personal investigation, your curiosity, as you, you know, you put it at your own experience. And of course, then how that you know intersex dovetails met in the middle with the the disappearance and the cover up of these kids yeah. um from these CDU facilities and i think you know for brace like something that we talked about off air a lot was the kind of lack of you know as much as you're kind of going into these investigations and kind of putting yourself in the middle of it and how that can you know, like you say, come with, you know, its its own baggage in a lot of ways, right? Um, that the idea of, like, closure from any of this, I think, is a little bit yeah. too uh, Hallmarkian, if I yeah. may, that, like, something like this can serve as a kind of closure. I mean, at the end of it, you say, like, there's nothing to be done and I can't do this alone. Right. You know, and I think that that um, serves as a good kind of, uh, you know, kind of guiding light a little bit, but I'm wondering like how you feel at the end of all of this, you know, kind of throwing yourself in the middle of it and, you know, what what's come from it?
2: Uh, that's an excellent question. And I don't know if I can answer that in any intelligent way. I'm, I believe that these are solvable cases and I believe it's going to take uh you know you guys <laughs> P- people that care um and are outside of law enforcement to uh, make actual breakthroughs serious developments that could then push law enforcement to act yeah but it's gonna take it's gonna take us I mean that that's that's kind of it um and uh, it it's possible um so unless unless we, if we don't care, yeah. They're just it's just gonna be sitting in a drawer in San Bernardino County f- for the rest of time. You know.
1: Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, the piece is incredible. We'll we'll Thank you. you know, link link to it, obviously, and your other pieces on Medium. Um it's I just mean, I, I think I
2: think you're you know, this that last episode we were talking to trying to talk to Patrick. That was that was incredible. Mm. I mean, that was really I just wanted to, cool. you know. Give my, you guys my, a hug. Actually, I wanted to be in that car uh, with you on the stakeout. You know, I mean, well, really... we had
0: talked. We had talked. I think like the day before.
2: We were talking. No, oh, you were texting while you were there. You sent me that. Yeah, crazy yeah, yeah. Ced. You know. Uh, oh yes. Yeah. yeah the the well, photo. Yeah,
0: I know. Yeah, I I, I got to tell you know for 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 listeners you know behind the behind the curtain David was a was a big help not only oh, just in, in 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 information wise but also just like talking about that stuff because it's it's. Um, Yeah. It can be, it can be hard to like, to, to have the language for it. Um,
2: You, you had the language uh, and that voicemail is, I mean, that was, I've wanted so many times to say that. I
0: was going to say like, have you, have you, you know, you, you, have you spoken to anybody who was there? Like who was, Oh, I
2: I certainly have. No one remembers me. I mean, I mean the kids, some of the kids remember me, but like staff, who, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. Um, I mean I, I spoke with Mel's widow. I mean I've really I've gotten I've gotten to the top. Um yeah. Bill Lane was supposed to uh, he died in 2018 2019. He blew me off and he took my questions and he s- sent them to Lon Woodbury who's you hmm. know uh, kind of a, Woodbury a, a notorious reports. Fig- yeah a notorious figure in the so-called troubled teen industry all
0: of our pictures um, not all of our but several of our pictures of patrick comes from from the woodbury website yeah Yeah. i know
2: yeah i remember seeing that too when you were posting things um and they did a kind of like trump hannity thing the two of them with my questions um uh any anyway i mean yeah i've spoken for me though um you know uh you said something interesting in, in you know in that last episode where you kind of, kind of wanted to humiliate Patrick a little bit. Yeah. I understand that. I totally understand that. Um, I don't know if it would work and I don't know if that's my, my style, you know, when when I try to interview these people Um, I'm not trying to do a, a gotcha. They're already got, I mean like I, I really want to understand extremism I want to understand yeah. how extremism can get infected in uh, the educational system, the American educational system. I'm, I'm yeah. fascinated by this. So I'm more fascinated by, like, you know, why is Bill Lane and Associates at a vendor's table? Or um, why why do they believe that this was an alternative education? What made them think this way? Um and I, so that's the fascination, that's the curiosity, and the other. But the anger for me is actually more at state agencies. So yeah, you know when I'm going through thousands of pages from California Department of Social Services and they're substantiating abuse allegations, and then I go to their office and I say, I would like to speak with the person, the licensing, you know, uh, evaluator who is making these reports, and I'm told oh, they don't know anything about CDU. And then I look at the name of the person that was writing those reports and it's the same person yeah. that's overseeing the Riverside office. So then I try and contact that person and she doesn't speak with the public. So it, there's that's – my rage is, is with, you know, this the state institutions that were aware of these abuses and allowing them to occur and coddling yeah. them and tolerating them. Um so that's my focus uh really, so I was maybe I the the worst person to end up consulting on a police investigation and then watches it <laughs> you know fell apart because now i'm you know I'm going to continue look looking into that uh law enforcement agency,
1: but maybe that's actually the the reason why you were the best person
2: to be involved yeah yeah in I will maybe. say it depend yeah. depends on who is uh, listening <laughs> you know.
1: Well, certainly for the victims, I think you're definitely the best person to be consulting on something like that.
2: Well, I thank you very much for that. I, I really appreciate this. And I appreciate your time and your kindness. I, I don't often get a lot of kindness uh, when I'm doing this stuff.
0: Well, so. I'm glad. I mean, I've, I've been, I've been yeah, I'm thrilled to have you on. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, you said you were right? working on a follow-up to, uh, to this piece about the missing persons report.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm working... Yeah. I have that going on. It's, a, uh, it's, it's longer than I expected and it's, it's specifically about Daniel Ewan's case. Um, yeah. I don't know when that's going to be out. Um, he went missing in February. So we're coming in 2004 and he was, uh, shipped off in late January f- five years after me. So yeah. we're, we're hitting some, uh, some real, some real anniversaries. Um, so maybe it'll coincide the piece with that. And I have a, a long piece that um, is on Medium that I haven't posted yet about obtaining the CD archive.
0: Yeah, you've told me that
2: story, so I'll, that's, that's a story yeah, for another yeah. day. But uh, yeah, that's I, I,
0: yeah, it's a crazy,
2: it's a wild story though. It's a wild story. I never I never actually expected this to become essentially a part time job. You know, I was the yeah. running my anger was supposed to be a one off, and then I've I moved on, and and I keep they keep pulling me back in. Um, so i'll I'll keep you know i'll keep going
0: david thank you so much for joining us um we're going to link to all that stuff uh in the uh in the episode description here and i highly recommend you guys check it out there's a lot of stuff in the la mag article we didn't even get to um there's then that that i gotta tell you um that running my anger piece you know if 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 I I would just say that is like essential reading for, for, for anybody interested in this topic whatsoever. Uh, it's really good. Um, and David, you know, it's been a pleasure and,
2: uh, and we'll talk soon. Definitely. Thanks guys. It was great to see you.
1: Well, we'll definitely have links to all of David's pieces in the show notes. And if you guys haven't checked out our series, The Game, The Story of Sinanon," we're going to link to that as well because it's all available for free now. Um, we've got a link to all the episodes and all of that will provide uh, more context for a lot of the stuff we're talking about here today. Well, with that, I embrace... I'm Liz. We are, of course, as always, joined by producer Young Tromsky. And this has been True None. we We'll see you next time. Bye bye.